So we've been studying Joshua, and we've been looking at taking possession, and we, we've looked at it in, in all sorts of different ways. And um, today, we're supposed to cover four whole chapters. So we're going to do a whistle tour through four whole chapters in the Bible um, in, what, 20 minutes. Yeah? So you ready? You got your... What is it? The kids say thinking caps on. So that map over there is um, an overview of the land that was being divvied out. So over the last few weeks, we've been studying Joshua. We've been talking about they, um, you know, fought that person, fought that king, killed that king, took that land. And so that picture there is an overview of all the different tribes of Israel and the land that was divvied out to them. And if you remember, we got to that point where we were said, I can't remember which chapter it was, where it said that, you know, they'd taken all the land, but then they still had to go out and take it. So if you remember when Jim was talking about the difference between um, Victory Day and D-Day, so, you know, the fact that they had the land still meant they still had some more work to do. So we're still roughly in that space. And the next four chapters, there are four different stories about people taking that possession of the land. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So we're going to start with Joshua 14, verses 9 to 13. And we've got, got it up on the screen there. And I'll, I'll read through it very quickly. And, and then um, we'll have a chat about that. So on that day, Moses swore to me. So this is um, Caleb going to Joshua. Do we all remember who Caleb was? Yes. Yeah? Good. So this is Caleb going to Joshua and reminding him and saying, On that day, Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God, wholeheartedly. At this point, Moses isn't around anymore. Joshua's in charge. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved around in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Okay? So, here we have Caleb going to Joshua to claim a promise that God had made 40 years earlier. Earlier on today, when we were going through the worship, I was just thinking, actually, we don't need to preach today because God's already been talking to us through the worship. This was God's promise made 40 years earlier. He had to wait that long for it. But at no point in that 40 years did he think, I'm not getting that land. And when the time was right, he went to Joshua and said, 
First, the first thing he did was to remind Joshua of God's promise. Then he asks. And then he gets. At no point did he have to haggle with Joshua. He asked and he got. And note that Joshua, um, Caleb, gets a whole city for himself, for his diligence in the past. So all the other people are part of a tribe. Each tribe gets a piece of land. Caleb gets a whole city. And he actually asked for the city. He didn't go to, to if, if he'd gone to Joshua and said, can you give me a parcel of land? What do you think Joshua would have said? Here's a parcel of land. He went, he said, I want this hill country. I'm standing on it. I'm claiming it. And he did. And he got it. Just as simple as that. There's a lesson there for us. And there's also another lesson in terms of sometimes you have to wait 45 years for something. I hope we don't. None of us really wants to wait that long for any other things that we want. But sometimes you've got to persevere. And I think that word came up earlier on today about being persevering. I think that word came from Hannah this morning. Okay. God is not a God of confusion. So he reminds God of his promises. He asks in faith. And he receives by faith. Now remember when he is talking to Joshua, he's saying to Joshua, even though I'm 85 years old, I'm still strong. So I'm still going to go out and get rid of all those people. Because actually there are still enemies standing, living in that, that city that he's been given. So it's not a case of him just you know, packing his suitcases and boxes and whatever and moving in. He's still got to drive the enemy out of that city that he's been given. And we're going to see how he does that in a minute. Okay, so now we're at Joshua 15. So we move to chapter, verses 13 to 19. So it says, in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Abba, that is Hebron. Abba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites. So these were kings. Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. From there, he marched against the people living in Deber, formerly called Kiriath Sepha, and Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sepha. Now, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? See, in those days, sadly, women were owned first by their dads, then later by their husbands. So a man could give his daughter not just figuratively, but literally. And we see that in several parts of the Bible where a father says, I'll give you my daughter. There you are. So here is Caleb thinking he's, he's, he's driven out three kings already. Perhaps he's getting a little bit tired. And he's looking at Kiriath Sepha and thinking, I need some help here. I can't do this one by myself. So I need some people to help me. 
So he says, I'll give my daughter. So he offers an incentive. Yeah? Look at this beautiful daughter of mine. Any one of you can help me drive out this king gets my daughter. And somebody rises to the challenge. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, so his nephew, took it. So he went out, captured the city, and so Caleb gave him his daughter, Aksa, in marriage. So now this is where things start getting a little bit more interesting. In verse 18 it says, One day, when she came to Othniel, this is Aksa we're talking about here, she urged him to ask her father for a field. Now, it's a really in- interesting bit about asking her father for a field. I'll just read the, 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 a little bit further, then I'll, I'll come back and, and talk about that. It says, when she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? And she replied, do me a special favor. Since you've given me land in Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. Now we're going to backtrack a little bit. The area of Hebron was very arid. So water would have been an issue in some parts of it. And of course, if you haven't got water, you can't plant, you can't graze your animals, you can't drink, you can't... We all know that water is a crucial resource that everyone needs. I imagine Axa going to her husband and saying something like this. That stupid well has dried up again. What are you going to do about it? Because we've got no water for cooking. Right? And imagine Othnia looks back and says, well, what do you want me to do about it? I'm not God, you know. Even if we try and dig, dig another well, it's still going to take a while. So, you know, I can't solve your immediate problem. And then I can think, Axel probably sat there and thought, you know what? My dad owns the city, so why don't you ask him for a spring? And Othnia probably looked at her and said, he's your dad. Why can't you ask him? Yeah. Now, it's really interesting because verse 18 tells us that she went to her husband and urged him to ask her father for a field. The field is where the spring was. In those days, women did not own land. Now, the Bible does tell us that when she goes to her dad, she actually says to him, since you've given me some land already, the chances are it's probably that that land she was referring to, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how that came about. We know that women did not own land at that point in time. But it's possible that when um, Caleb gave her to Othniel in marriage, he also gave Othniel some land for them to sit and live on that. You know, that, that would sound plausible and logical. But in the end, she is the one who walks up the courage and says, okay, I'll go and ask my dad. And so off she goes. Now, it's a really simple conversation that she has with her dad. She simply says, she reminds him of the land he's already given her. So she acknowledges his goodness to her. Yeah, we were singing earlier on today about the goodness of the Lord. She acknowledges how good he's been to her, giving her land, which was not the norm. 
It was out of the ordinary. And then she says, I want to ask a special favor. So she acknowledges that what she's asking is for a gift of grace, not an entitlement. And then she asks, and he says, here you are. And you can get two of them. And it's interesting because when she asked, she didn't ask for one. She said, springs. She didn't say, give me a spring. No, why ask for one when you can get two? She said, springs. And at no point in the Bible does it say she had to negotiate. And, you know, there are parts in the Bible that tells you when people have to haggle for things and ask. And, you know, in this case, her father just says, here you are. And it kind of reminds you of Axa having learnt from the best. She would have seen her dad ask for Hebron from Joshua. And it makes you think sometimes, what are your children learning from you? Are they learning to walk in faith from the way you walk in faith? And it was a brave thing for her to go and ask, given, bearing in mind that actually women weren't allowed to have land. But she still went because she trusted the dad she had. She trusted her father. And she knew she could ask him because of the love he had for her. And it's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. We can trust him. We can ask, knowing that he has our best at heart and therefore will give us the things that we need. And that is buttressed by what happens in the next two stories. So now we've covered two. So we've got Caleb, and he's got a city. We've got Caleb's daughter who needs water, and she gets two springs. So that's just going through very quickly. She reminded her father of his expression of love. She acknowledges what she's about to receive. She asks, and she gets so now we're moving to Joshua chapter 17. And there are two stories rolled into this chapter. And it starts with this. This was the allotment for the tribe of Manasseh as Joseph's firstborn. That is for Machiah, Manasseh's firstborn. So most of us who have read the Bible know about the story of Joseph goes off to Egypt, he ends up having two sons. Um, his family come and join him in Egypt during a famine. When his father's dying on his deathbed, he blesses all his sons, and he gives Joseph an extra portion of blessing. That's important to hold on to. Um, and so here we have, we got Manasseh, who's Joseph's firstborn. Ephraim is the second, and both of those are now tribes so rather than Joseph having one tribe, he actually ends up with two tribes. One is the tribe of Manasseh, the other one is the tribe of Ephraim. And if you're wondering about how the numbers add up, the Levites, so the, the, the sons of Levi, who's another one of um, Jacob's um, sons, they are the priestly tribe. So they actually don't get an allocation of land. They're allowed to settle with their brothers wherever, and their brothers were meant to feed them. 
So that's how we can have an extra tribe. Okay, so here it's saying, Machia was the ancestor of the Gileads who had received Gilead and Bashan because the Machaerites were great soldiers. Now I've put that in bold because it's something I want you to remember as this story goes on. So this allotment was for the rest of the people of Manasseh, the clans of Abiazah, Helek, Israel, Shechem, Hepher, and Shemida. These are the other male descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph, by their clans. Now, Zelophehad, son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Makkah, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters, whose names were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Taza. So if you pause and think, he had no daughters. But they're, uh, sorry, no sons. He only had daughters. But they're divvying out land that cannot go to women. Yeah? So the daughters went to Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders, and said... The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our relatives. And the Bible says, so Joshua gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. Or, or, along with the brothers of their father, according to the Lord's command. And it looks so simple, doesn't it? They were like, well, you know, our dad's name's going to disappear if we don't do something. So they go off to Joshua and say, God said, give us an inheritance. And Joshua says, there you are. Or was it that simple? Okay. Now here we see women who are crossing the boundary that hasn't been crossed before. They understood the law. They understood their rights. And they were willing to fight for those rights. It must have taken a lot of courage for all of them to come together and then go before all the elders, to go before Joshua, to go before the priest and say, give us. Can you imagine the conversations they would have been having in their tents, you know? But we're women. Women don't get land. And one of them would say, well, Aksa got some land off her dad. So if she can do it, why can't we? Yep. Now, there's actually a part two to the story, which isn't in Joshua, but is in Numbers. And what actually happened was, I'm not going to read all of that to you, but the Bible actually tells us when they, when they went to the priests, they actually reminded Joshua and the priests that their dad died in the wilderness. For those of you who know the story of the Israelites when they were journeying through the wilderness, they got into loads and loads and loads of trouble. That journey should have taken 40 days. It ended up taking 40 years because God decided that actually I'm going to wipe out a generation. And I'm only going to take the younger generation in. So when Caleb was talking about him being 40 years old at that point, that that happened, that was why it took another 40 years before he can get his own inheritance, because he was the cutoff point. So anybody who was his age and under were the ones who ended up en entering the promised land. Everyone who was older died in that wilderness. And all they did was just walk around in circles. They didn't actually go anywhere. So... They, when they come to the priest, they explain to the priest that when their dad died, so it's, let me just go back a little bit. While they were in the wilderness, as I said, they were getting into lots and lots of trouble. And there are loads of stories about all the trouble they got into and all the things they did that they shouldn't have done. And in one of those, there was a rebellion by someone named Korah. And you can go back to the Bible and read it yourself. 
But at the end of that rebellion, God was so angry that he wiped out not just Korah, but all the people who'd followed him. And I think there are 14,700 people died in a, in a single in, instance because God struck them down with a plague. So when the daughters came to the priest, they were saying, our dad wasn't one of those. Our dad, in a sense, was a righteous man. Yes, he died in the wilderness like all the other elders, but that was just because of his normal sin, not because it was part of the rebellion. So his name does not deserve to die out. And that was their argument. And the Bible tells us, so Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance amongst their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. So here we are in this very patriarchal society where men rule, where men control, where men own. But God is standing up for the rights of women. And God is saying, they're my daughters. I do not value them any less. They are entitled to an inheritance, just as my sons are. And if you're a woman in this room today and you're thinking, I deserve less, that's not what God is saying to you. And so it was based on what happened in Numbers that they got their land. So they reminded Joshua and the priests of God's promise. So we've got a repeating pattern in these stories. God's promise. They reminded them of God's promise. They were confident of what was theirs to claim. If you don't claim, you don't get. And you'll be amazed how that principle can apply on a day-to-day basis. If you don't claim, you don't get. They asked and they received. And the interesting thing about them is that their boldness brought a change to the rights of women in Israel. Because that law didn't just apply to them. The Bible tells us that God said that from now on, if, if a man dies then, and, he, and he leaves no sons, his property should go to his daughter's foot. So they actually set a precedence of what was to come. And sometimes it just takes one single act of courage to bring about massive change. So now we've got one final story, and this one's very interesting. So take a look at that map and try and see if you can figure out who's got the biggest amount of land. Yeah? I know it's not a very clear map, but the colors help a little. Yeah? Okay. So now let's go to part two of Manasseh's inheritance. Now remember that the daughters of Zelophehad were part of the tribe of Manasseh. So what they were trying to get is before the land goes out, is being divided out by everybody within the tribe, we want to make sure that we get our bit. 
So now we move on to what happens with the rest of the tribe. Sorry, ju just to... Um, yeah, let me move on. So the Bible tells us Manasseh's share consisted of 10 tracts of land besides Gilead and Bashan east of the Jordan because the daughters of the tribe of Manasseh received an inheritance among the sons. So what we're being told here is that because the daughters got land, Manasseh's portion was even larger than it normally would have been. If we move on to verse 7, it says, The territory of Manasseh extended from Asher to Milcameth. And I'm not going to try and read all of those names because it would take a bit of time. Um, then the boundary continued south to the Canav Ravine. There were towns belonging to Ephraim, his brother, the brother tribe, lying amongst the towns of Manasseh. But the boundary of Manasseh was the northern side of the ravine and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. And if you remember that picture that we looked at earlier on, you could see how it spanned right across the, um, the um, Jordan River, both sides of it. Uh, it says, on the south, the land belonged to Ephraim, on the north to Manasseh. The territory of Manasseh reached the Mediterranean and bordered Asher on the north and Isaac on the east. Then it tells us a little bit that within Isaac and Asher, Manasseh had towns. So Isaac and Asher were two other tribes. Within those tribes, the land they were given, the, tri the tribe of Manasseh had towns within that. So apart from that big yellow blob that we saw, other bits, they had towns in there. Um, and we've got a list of all those towns. And it says, yet the... Manasites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. And then it goes, however, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Now, those are important bits to, to note, because what was God's instruction to the Israelites? It's to drive them all out. Now, it says that they were not able to occupy these towns. We're talking about the sons of Manasseh. Do you remember that verse that said that they were, they were strong soldiers? They were strong, strong soldiers, but they couldn't drive out their enemy. What's going on there? Yeah, it's a question. Thank you, Dele. So, the people of Joseph, i.e. the sons of Manasseh, they come to Joshua and listen to what they say. Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? Don't you know we are numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly? Now, just think of that. You saw all the land they got. The fact that they're a half-tribe who's got all that land, and then they come to Joshua and say, why have you only given us one bit? What's going on here? Joshua's answer. Now, remember with everybody else, Joshua said, here, take, have. Here, Joshua says, if you're so numerous, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, 
go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves. There in the land are the Perizzites and the Raphaites. And what did the people of Joseph say in response? The hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron. Both those in Bethshan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. So basically they're saying, those guys have iron chariots. We can't take them. We can't face them. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. So they've got both the numbers and the strength. And yet they're saying, we can't. And Joshua says, you will have not only one allotment, but the forest hill as well. Clear it. And its furthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. So it's really interesting how easily Joshua gave in to the ones who'd gone before, but refused on this instance. And Joshua really has to take a stand here and say, no, you're only getting one portion. If you want more, go clear out the land yourself. There are enemies all around. They've got land. You can go and take extra if you want but this is your portion. This is all you're getting. It kind of sounds to me, I don't know what you think, that the tribe of Manasseh have a sense of entitlement that isn't backed by the willingness to do the work. And they know they're blessed. They said it. But they've now come to take that blessing for granted. It's the classical, we want more. Except that in the case of Oliver Twist, he was actually hungry. They're not. They're overfull. And they're so lazy with it that they've come to take it as an entitlement, as something that is their right, and they're no longer willing to work for it. And it's that laziness that allows them to allow the people to stay in their territory rather than drive them out and use them as servants. So the people they should have driven out so they could have the land, they let them stay so that those people could work for them. That's how lazy they got, rather than doing their own work. There was no sense of thankfulness. For all the ones who'd gone before, they kind of acknowledged God's promise and were reminding God, you said this because of this. May I have? They were just like, why have you given us one? You know, we, we, you know one's not enough for us. Can't you see how big we are? We've talked about their laziness. To some degree, it looks like they're fearful, and Joshua's constantly encouraging them, saying, you can do it. You just need to put your mind to it. Actually, I thought he was actually quite kind to them, given what was happening. But there was also a sense of a lack of faith, Compare what Caleb said. Caleb was like, with God's strength, I can do this. Now, he still needed people's help. He wasn't stupid. But he, he put the faith into action and, and went out to get that territory, whereas these guys just wanted a handout. 
And so sometimes we need to think about what we're asking of God. Are we asking from a sense of entitlement? Or are we asking in accordance with God's will? And in accordance with God's promise? If we're asking in accordance with God's promise, he always fulfills his promises. And so that's an important lesson for us to learn. We should not let our privilege make us lazy and we should not ask out of greed. And James 4, 3 is a reminder that says, when you ask and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And that's exactly what the sons of Manasseh were doing. So in terms of taking territory, whether that's spiritual territory in terms of winning souls for Christ, or taking territory in terms of the promises God's made, given us in our daily lives, with our families, with our children, with our work, there are some simple principles to remember. God keeps his promises. We've heard that all through, from worship right through to the Bible verses we looked at. It doesn't matter whether he does them instantly or whether it's 40 years later. He says, you know, he, he's the God. He, his faithfulness is from generation to generation. And I know for a fact that there are things that I'm benefiting from that are the blessings that God gave my father. And I'm talking about my biological father now. Um, he, he visits those promises from generation to generation. But those promises are no use to you if you don't know what they are. So you need to know what God's promises are to you. And you need to remember them. Otherwise, it's like an IOU that you've lost in your drawer. You need to remind him of it. He doesn't mind. Joshua, um, John 50, sorry, Isaiah 43, 26 says, Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. God is happy for us to remind him of what he said. And there are loads of Bible instances where people do that. Don't get angry about it. Receive by faith, even if you don't see it straight away. But do the work. Yeah? Do the work. You can't say, Lord, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job, and then don't go for an interview. The job won't be posted to you in your house. Sometimes you need to be patient and wait. For the fulfillment of the promise. And there are loads of people who had to wait on a promise in the Bible. It took Abraham a long time to get his son. And remember that when you ask, you shall receive. It's a promise. So ask in accordance with God's will. John 16, 24 says, Until now you've asked for nothing. 
in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. And Matthew 21, 22 says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. But remember that John 15, 7 also says, if you abide in me, so there's a condition. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So don't forsake the abiding in God and then ask, because then you'll be like the sons of Manasseh. But if you stay within God's love, his words abide in you, then you will ask according to his will, and then you will receive. So I'm just going to close with a prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you because you are the God of promises, um, an unchanging God, you are the same today, yesterday, and forever will be. We thank you, Lord, because your promises are yea and amen. We thank you because you love us and you wish good things for us. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will teach us how to abide in you and teach us how to ask according to your will so that we can receive all that we need. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, to our families, to our children. And we pray, Lord, that we will abide in your house till the end of our days, Lord. And that we will continue to hold on to you and to the promises that you've given us. Even as we take this territory, this area, Lord, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will teach us how to ask and how to receive in faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.